All right, hey, um, thank you so much. And uh, Chris and Jackie, we are so excited for you guys. Um, and you know, uh, when I first met Chris, I was like, man, he's like so good looking and then he sings so well and um, you know, and then I met Jackie and she's so pretty and you know, what a couple they are and, um, but more beautiful on the inside even than the outside. And so we're just excited and so grateful there um, just um, on our team and uh, working, serving together. Um, and so that's exciting times, you know. Um, last week we had a wonderful celebration uh, with um, everyone together and it was nice and the facility was nice and uh, uh, the food and just everything was su such a, a good time for many of us who were there together to celebrate 10 years. Um, and we get back now and it's kind of like the, we, we had the big party and now it's time to uh, do life. It's not now time to be the church and, and to do well. And uh, today we, we go to Mark chapter 2. And this whole quarter till the end of the year, we're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark. The shortest of the four, um, you know, uh, sometimes a little abrupt, you know, just to get to the point. Um, the style is very different than Luke or John. And, uh, but we get to Mark's Gospel. And we get the story that uh, many of us know so well. It's the calling of Levi. Uh, and Levi is called as one of the disciples. And there's an interesting thing that happens here is that he is called in this way. Um, I don't know if you've ever had um, or met someone. And it's kind of rare where you meet someone and they remember things about you. And there's just something that they make you feel very special. And you might know someone at work like that. You're Maybe your boss, uh, one of your old bosses was like that, or um, someone at your kid's school. Um, but it's kind of rare, and they know you by name, and they know things about you, and they make you feel so special. And it's, uh, uh, it's really special in that way. Right? I mean, a, a funny example of this. You know, this past summer, we were in Hawaii on our family vacation. And um, in the island of Kauai, there's a DJ, um, and he's like the most well-known DJ. And his name is Steve Choi, okay? So you know where the story is going. So his name is Steve Choi. Um, his nickname is B.B. Choi or Steve Choi. Anyways, I learned all this. And it's funny because I remember I was listening on the radio and it was him. And I was like, oh, it's kind of funny. And then I get to the hotel or the, the timeshare place and we pull in and there's all the guys are working there. Oh, very friendly. Um, and they say, oh, all right, you know, welcome. And they're like, oh, you're checking in. What's your name? My name's Steve Choi. Like, Steve Choi? You're Steve Choi, right? And, uh, and then the other guys start all coming over. Like, oh, what? Steve Choi's here. I said, no, 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 no. I'm not, you know, like, and then the one guy, I was like, oh, uh, you know, they're very friendly. And the guy's like, no, no, there's a DJ here, and we all know, and we like him. And you have the same name, so we're going to remember your name. Then the other guys are all coming, and they're now they're hearing bits and pieces of it. And they're like, oh, is he the Steve Choi? I said, no, 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 I'm just the Steve Choi. I'm not the Steve Choi. Um, and... Uh, you know, and, and so, but the rest of the three, four days we were there, every time I'm walking around the resort, someone is yelling out my name, like, yo, Steve Joy, yeah. And then I was like, hey. And then people are looking at me like, oh, is he someone famous? I'm like, no, you know. Um, and uh, so I had to be on my best behavior, and it was like kind of alarming at times because I'm, you know, walking to the beach, Steve Joy, and, you know, walking down the hall, the elevator opens, hey, Steve Joy. And they were doing that the whole time. And I was like, oh my gosh, honey, like, you know, we got to make sure we tip everyone, <laughs> like, you know, like, I got to get a lot of ones, you know, and um, I got to be on our best behavior, and, 
but I was like, man, I feel so special here because everyone's calling me by my first and last name the whole time, right? Uh, um, it, it's, it's a funny, um, exaggerated perspective of that, but we, we all know people like that, people that know you, people that call you and they remember things about you and they make you feel so special in that way. And here uh, we, we get to the calling of Levi, and it's a very personal call. Uh, it's uh, something Jesus does out of his, you know, if you read Mark chapter 1 and 2, you see um, there's no story about his birth, there's no Mary and no Joseph narrative. This is, Mark wants to get to the point. And he gives us a picture of Jesus Christ who is immediately, he keeps saying over and over, immediately, and the crowds are wanting him and the disciples are saying, where were you? And it's this hectic, busy, and his ministry is just booming and that he is needed and wanted, and in the midst of that, he has a personal encounter, and he calls him. And today we want to look at this call of Levi. You know, he calls him, he befriends him, and thirdly, he transforms him. And really, that's the call that we received from Christ, and we want to be reminded of that. And secondly, we want to now try to live that out towards others. The first thing he does is he calls the sinner to him. It is very important that we grasp that this guy was a sinner, um, that he was one of the worst in the categories of people, if we would say. Um, Look at verse 14. And he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, he is described here as a tax collector. He's sitting at the tax booth. Uh, He's sitting at the tax booth booth he's working you know the tax collector of the day there was a couple uh, two different kind of categories one was kind of the general maybe somewhat more legitimate tax collector right and maybe like kind of the irs of the day and they would tax you on things like income and and your property and things that uh, most people understood but there was another uh, word designated for a tax collector and uh, this is where Levi fell into. And these guys kind of functioned like um, a a gang or a mafia. You know, they're they're extorting you, basically. And they would go, and they would go and make up taxes if they had to in order to gain more. And they would skim off the top as much as they wanted. Imagine, they're inventing taxes to take money. So imagine how much of a hatred the people would have, and especially the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known as the separatists. And they wanted to separate themselves from anything bad or evil. They wanted to stay away. And the groups of people Jesus are starting to encounter now, the paralytic in the beginning of chapter 1. The unclean, I can't go near him. The tax collector and sinner in this story, I can't go near him. But Jesus goes and he approaches this tax collector. Now this tax collector would they would tax you things on like how many wheels you had on your dolly, uh, the, the, how many axles, the more axles you had, you would be taxed even more. Um, how many animals you had. And he was near the sea, and so you would imagine that he is taxing not just them, but also the fishermen. How many fish did you catch? And you can imagine this guy, Levi, waiting on with his group, waiting at the shore as the fisherman who is working hard for their honest pay. They're coming on shore, and here is Levi, the tax collector. Okay, how many fish have you got? Let me see all of it. Unpack all of it. And he would create, he would be a nuisance where he would make people unpack everything, this type of tax collector. 
Just a side note here. The beauty of the church and the beauty of the gathering of the disciples is people who are different. Can you imagine in chapter 1 he calls James and John, um, he calls these guys who were the fishermen, right? I'll make you fishers of men. He calls the ex-fishermen, says, come follow me. The sons of um, Zebedee, so they follow and now in this group, he also has their worst enemy. It was a tax collector who was ripping them off. They hated him, had no respect. And now he forms a discipleship group with them. And if you or I were to form a group, we'd say, no, I don't, I'll just get a bunch of guys that like each other, a bunch of guys that were on the same page, a lot of history together. I don't want to throw in someone that has hurt or ripped off someone where there's bad feelings, and now they're formed. But somehow Jesus decides Make him one of the 12. And you think about the church, you know. Um, the only thing we all try to do is we, we try to select our friends very carefully. And we want people that are similar to us, that's not going to offend us, that gets us, that's, you know, um, doesn't, you know, bother us. And we're trying really hard. We try really hard for all our lives. We hope our, if you have kids, you know, you hope your kids have friends that are like that. And, you know, you're trying to figure out, can I get along with their families? But the church... The church is a place where all sorts of people come. And this is the beauty of the church. Uh, we have people, all sorts of different people, different backgrounds, different incomes, different educations, uh, different personalities, and somehow they're going to sit in a group and they're going to talk and they're going to grow together. And This is the beauty of the design of what God has. And so instead of saying, oh, gosh, I, that, I, that bothers me so much, it's no, it's, we got to appreciate the beauty of the kind of the mosaic of what makes up the church. And so we see this here, that he calls sinners. And, you know, uh, the tax collectors were called uh, sinners because these people were worse than the lepers or the paralytic because those people didn't choose it, but the sinners deliberately were ripping people off. They were deliberately stealing from people. And so he calls him and he says, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And, you know, there's this uh, doctrine of, uh, in the Reformed theology. It's called irresistible grace. And some of you have heard that term before. Irresistible grace. It points to not so much um, that when God calls someone, we're like robots and, oh, I have to go. Like, I have no choice. It's not so much of that. But more than that, that the beauty of the grace of Jesus is so beautiful, if a person really understands it, they can't help but to go. And this is what we see here. You know, as R.C. Sproul says it so well, he says, irresistible grace does not mean that God's grace is incapable of being resisted. Indeed, we are capable of resisting God's grace, and we do resist it. The idea is that God's grace is so powerful that it has the capacity to overcome our natural resistance to it. And so when God calls us, we have to understand that all glory goes to him. You know, the, the Pharisees go to God and they say, God, look what I've done for you. Look how acceptable I am to you. God, I, I have all these degrees, God. God, I went and did all these nice things, God. God, I memorized all these things I, I achieved for you. The sinner, the Christian that is now uh, was a sinner comes and says, I, I have nothing. Your, your grace is irresistible to me. It's beautiful. I, I take no, no credit for this. 
And so as, if we could sit and grasp that truth that this is a picture of me, because, you know, when a church gets to 10 years old, 20 years old, it gets established. And many of you have been in the faith for years. It is a lot easier to become more like the Pharisees than like this tax collector. To judge, be more concerned about other people's righteousness than my own righteousness. How are they doing? How is she doing? How come they don't do this? And how I didn't see them doing this. And boy, they're like this. And we get so caught up, and that church is doing this, and that church is doing that. We can get so caught up in the righteousness of others, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. Whereas this guy said, I have nothing. I come bankrupt before God. And he receives God's grace. And so we have to be more concerned with my own righteousness. Not how is somebody else doing. Now, uh, the, the Jesus, the great physician, not only does he call him, but he befriends him. Right? He calls and he befriends him. It says here in verse 15 this, and, he, and as he reclined at table in his house... Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. It's an a interesting picture we have here. He says he reclined at his house. Um, the, the table would be kind of like a U-shaped table. The host would be in the middle. And um, it's kind of not like the pictures that we see at the Last Supper. They wouldn't be sitting around, but literally there was cushions, and you would be on your stomach and you would be reclining forward, and you would maybe have your hand on your elbow, and you would prop yourself up, and you would eat with your hand, and you would talk. Because the feet were dirty. You didn't want feet near the food. It smelled. It was dirty. It, it, you'd lose your appetite. So you would keep the feet away from the food, and they would recline at the table. But eating together here is a very intimate thing. I mean, it really is today as well, but much more than that. It signifies that I'm your friend. So when Jesus here goes and he sits with them, the Pharisees, can you imagine, maybe they're going to a part of town that, is, that uh, good people don't go to. <laughs> this is a part of town where the tax collectors and sinners maybe live, and Jesus and the disciples and all these sinners and tax collectors are going there, and they're sitting there now, and as they're looking through, they see them, they're eating, and people are saying they're eating together, they're having a feast. So how does he eat with sinners? But by sitting there with them, he befriends them. You know, Jesus, when Zacchaeus, in the story of Zacchaeus, is climbing up the tree and saying, you know, he's calling out his name. He says, today I must go to your house. It's a picture of saying, today I want to have a relationship with you. It's not just saying, Jesus is saying, I'm hungry. But he's saying, I want to go to your house. You know, at the end of the Gospel of John, when the James and John and Peter, and they're coming off the boat they went back fishing, and, and Peter comes running, and he has food cooked for him. It's not because that they were hungry that Jesus is just making, but it's saying, you're coming. Remember, you denied me, Peter, but you are coming back into fellowship with me. I am still here for you. And it is this picture of that. And so what a wonderful thought that is, that he befriends them in this way. He sits with them in this way. You know, uh, there's a story of a pastor named Roy Ratliff. I think we might have a picture up there, yeah. Uh, Roy uh, Ratliff is a pastor in uh, Wisconsin. And uh, in 1994, a uh, pastor of a small church, he gets a call one day from the local prison. In the local prison, the administrator called and said, hey, we have a prisoner here who would like to get baptized. Would you be able to come and meet with him? And uh, he's, 
went. He's sitting in this little room, he's waiting, and he sees the guards bring this guy, and he's shackled. Hands are shackled, legs and feet are shackled, and they bring him in. And before they bring him, they take everything off. And uh, he sits down and he recognizes who this guy is. This was the infamous serial killer, Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer, many of you, the name probably, uh, you kind of remember a little bit of it. Uh, if you were around then, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, he was a serial killer and he killed all these men and young boys and uh, he fessed up in 91 before, as he was captured that he did th these things. He said, I want to be, I wanna be baptized, I want to be forgiven. And he sits with him, and he said he had to, in this interview with the New York Times, this pastor said he had to collect himself, and he had to now uh, talk to him and hear him. And this guy, he said, you know, he was the worst of sinners, and he needed forgiveness from God, and he wanted to be baptized. And, um, and then he meets with him a few more times, and then he baptizes him. As he pulls him out of the water, and uh, he gives him a hug, and the first thing that this pastor said to him was, uh, welcome to the family of God. Now, this was controversial. He took so much heat for doing this. Some people applauded him, and some people hated him. How can you do this? And the story goes in this way, and he met him on Wednesdays for an hour just to pray and have a little study with him. And he would meet him for several months until November came around, and this Jeffrey Dahmer had given him a card. And he takes the card. It's a happy Thanksgiving card that he had handmade. And in his uh, kind of odd handwriting, he wrote to him, uh, Dear Roy, thank you for your friendship. And then a few days later, he was murdered in jail. Thank you for your friendship. We could easily um, look at that and pull out all the problems of it. Uh, what was wrong with it? But if we don't fully grasp that, you know, the part of the gospel that is so important is that it's not just the holiness of Jesus and my holiness. No, it's the holiness of Jesus and my wickedness. It's the grace of God in need of a sinner. The physician, he says, comes not to the healthy, but to those who are sick. Until we realize that. And so he comes and he befriends him in this way. But not does he, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, I accept you as you are, I'll, I'll be your friend. And this is where I think the liberal, uh, some of the liberal churches get it wrong. I'll come as you are, we just accept you just as you are. No, he loves us so much, he's not done with us. A loving parent doesn't take a child who doesn't know how to read or write or put on their shoes and just say, oh, I'll just leave you as you are. They say, no, i got to instruct you. I have to make you go to bed. I have to make you get up. I have to make you do these things for what is best for you. And he transforms us. And we see here, right? Uh, it's interesting in verse 15 that you have these, um, these designated groups that are mentioned at the table, right? Who was there? Jesus was there. Matthew was there. You, could, you would imagine Matthew might be in the middle, Jesus right next to him, or, or Levi, rather, uh, right next to him. And then it says here, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So the disciples, some of them are already there. These tax collectors, sinners, they're all there. I wonder at this point, when Mark writes this, if he is referring to Matthew, not as now the many of the tax collectors, but he is referring to him as now one of the disciples. He had been transformed. You know, Matthew, uh, Levi is also known as Matthew. 
So uh, when you go outside and you start uh, reading the uh, following texts where they list all the disciples, he's called Matthew now, the tax collector, Matthew. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew's own account, he calls himself Matthew, not Levi. And some have uh, speculated maybe it is because he wanted to show that he has changed. He is no longer Levi, the tax collector, but he is Matthew. Matthew, which means the gift that comes from God, the gift of God. And maybe this change here is started by what God has done. He invited him to follow him, and he becomes now the gift that's from God. He thinks about Jesus Christ, the gift that comes from God, and he is transformed. His name is changed. He writes the first gospel that we read. He transforms us. You know, I had a friend in high school um, that I met through another friend. I'll just call him, I'll call him Bob. Um, and uh, this guy was kind of a, one of those bad characters. Um, and I remember he, he drove a Mustang and kind of had long hair and was kind of a tough guy. And, um, you know, we kind of became friends. And then he wanted to hang out. And he'd pick me up in his car. We go, But he would always do things that was a little bit like uh, it would scare me at times. He would speed really fast or try to cause fights and things. And I remember one day, it started to get worse. And I remember one day um, he went and, uh, he was trying to race a car, right? um, and oh, we're racing, and we're laughing, and the guy was racing and, and talking back and forth, and this guy, my friend Bob, pulls out a gun out of his uh, belt, and he points it at the guy, and he's laughing, and at this point, I'm fearful, but I'm laughing, because, you know, he's, oh, yeah, yeah, point it that way, um, uh, oh, I, I got to go study, you know, hey, you know, I'll call you, don't call me, um, and uh, so I, from that point on, I, had, I was like, avoided him. Several years later, years later, down the line, um, and I, I'm going to seminary now. I'm, I'm doing my first youth ministry, and this guy calls me up. Out of the blue, somehow he calls me up. He goes, hey, what's going on? Hey, man, good to, you know, well, you know, and, and he goes, hey, you know, he goes, hey, you're, you're a preacher, huh? Yeah, he goes, hey, hey I want to go to your church. Can I go to your church? And my initial reaction is, no way, heck no, you're not coming. <laughs> Like, why do you want to come here? Um, you're going to rob someone? You're going to check out the girls? What? No way. You know, that was like everything. And then I was like, you know, uh, I said, oh, of course. Yeah, God loves you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you should come. Are you sure? Yeah, I'll be there. I give him the address, and he shows up. At that time, the ministry I was there, it was about 50 people in a small room. He comes in. Now, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying with my eye open, watching him, because I, I, I don't know, I haven't seen him for a while, and he showed up to church, and praise time starts, and he's in the back, hands raised, and he's singing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's mocking our church now. <laughs> I was like, if he didn't have a gun, I would take him outside, um, and, but he's singing, and he's praying, and after he comes and gives me a hug, and he goes, man, that was beautiful, I was so blessed, and you know, he's hugging me, and I'm hugging him, and I'm kind of patting him as I'm <laughs> hugging him. I was like, wow, he changed. Some people change instantly. Some people, it takes years. Uh, Moses, 40 years, he's changing. Some of you, you're, you, you've seen your dad in a different way when you're a teenager, and you've seen God work in him in his 60s, 70s, 80s, and you've seen, wow, there's change. You are being transformed. Your church friend is being transformed. 
and don't give up so easily. And we want to continue as now we start this new decade of church. We want to continue being the church. Don't be the Pharisee that wants to judge everything, remember what I did in the past, and I'm satisfied with that. But we need to be like Matthew. Jesus says, follow me, I will go. What do you want me to do? And I think about all the things that we jumped on and did. When the earthquake happened in Haiti, and we said there were thousands of displaced orphans, and we said, let's go do something about it. And we went and sent probably about 100 people over the, last, uh, the first three or four mission teams and collected and sent over $300,000 to go and make sure that these orphans had a place, that the churches there were taking care of them. We're not going to give up doing that. The, the activities on our calendar often are not just things that happen within church, but there are things that affect those around us. Some, many of you go, you go up to Fullerton on Tuesday, and I've seen a lot of you there, and we're feeding the homeless people there. And they smell, and they're this and that. They're not healthy, but we're there. We're becoming the hands and feet of Christ, and that is dirty. It's messy. And we go out and throw a picnic on Sundays once a month for these foster children from Olive Crest. We gather backpacks so they can go to school with something new on their back. We are going to continue to do this. And if you run into a quote-unquote a Levi who is far from the grace of God, don't say, we can't eat with that sinner. We go run to them becoming the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And that is the dream and the goal of our church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we ourselves are all, um, Lord God, uh, in the place of Levi. We've been there. You call us not because we were uh, more desirable or accomplished more. You call us because we needed a Savior. So it's people who have been saved. As people who have received grace, God, we want to now go and share your grace. We want to celebrate your grace. Um, so, Lord, before we look down on someone and judge someone, God, we want to know that uh, we were the worst. And you saved us. That humbles us, Lord. Um, that just flattens any kind of pride that we have. And then also it lifts us up. Because you are what we boast of now. So God, help us to live that out. We thank you for your church here. Uh, help us to be that kind of group here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.